We are back, Empires of the Future. I've been at camp all week. You're on sabbatical. I am. Yeah, how's it going so far? Good. I feel, I'm not getting any more sleep than usual, but I obviously feel rested or more yeah. rested. And we got into, to not Nashville, but uh, Tullahoma, Tennessee, and then Manchester, near Manchester, Tennessee, where they do Bonnaroo. Okay. Uh, there's a, a lake. Of course, you know, Tennessee is full of lakes because of TVA, yeah. uh, and they, they dam the Tennessee River in different places. So there's a, uh, a man-made lake uh, called Tim Ford, Tim's Ford Lake, okay. and uh, in-laws have a house on the lake. Yeah. So, yeah, so that was restful. Did some running on some trails and saw some waterfalls, which is always great. Very and nice, yeah. Played in some cold river water, great. which was fantastic, and uh, read some books and read some articles and some other stuff, and so, yeah. So feel more uh, more energized because I've been running more and working out more. That's always helpful and good too. So, so yeah, so everything's gone really well. I'm just in the beginning of the sabbatical. Though. Yeah. So I've got uh, five more weeks left. Good for you. So yeah. So yeah, it's been really good. Well, I'm in the middle of the busiest time of the year. Fantastic. So we balance each other out. Yeah. Uh, just had a great week at camp. Uh, went over to Southern Illinois, where I'm from to a camp over there and had a great time. So, but glad to be back. You know, you yep. live a uh, minimalist life for a week, uh, yeah. very much less air conditioning, uh, less amenities. And so it's nice to be home again. Yeah. I mean, y'all used to, you said that you used to do camps at this really nice camp in Kentucky, mm-hmm. which is real expensive, but obviously very, very nice. I've been there crossing. Right. And, uh, and, they and have you know, everything you could think of that you would think a camp would have. You know, as camps has. go, I mean, it's right there yeah, it's around. Really nice. Most camps are running about uh, $400 per student um, for the week. And so it, uh, that's, uh, that's where most camps are, given just uh, where things are at. Everything from the number of people that are there to insurance and uh that's just kind of where it has to be. So you can operate a camp for much less, depending on if you find a good spot. And so we've done that uh, for the second time again this year. But it's good to be away. You can get so much more uh, time uh, with teenagers uh, during that one. Now, week how camp. many bonfires were were we made? We did a fire one night. Yeah, now it's very okay. hot. Uh, yes, it, it was in the 90s first couple of days, and then it was 80s the rest of the week. But we just didn't. Fires weren't a big part no. of our plan. We went to the lake a lot, and uh, that helped to keep us cool. But every youth camp has to have a fire night. That's true. I mean, it's just, it doesn't matter if it's a million degrees. I don't know if you heard that. Uh, I guess in Death Valley, it's 120 plus degrees right, right now. Uh, it's like 10 degrees near the record. Mm-hmm. Uh, but if you did a youth camp in Death Valley, you would have to do a fire night right. at least you once. Can't not do it. Can't not do it. Yeah. But then again, at night, I guess in the desert, it's cold. It's colder. Sure, That's so. how the desert works. Uh, but anyways, so maybe it would work out perfectly yeah. fine. But uh, so yeah, we're going to, uh, I sent you this article this week. Um, I didn't write a ton of the uh, articles from Spectre, but I, it's a conservative magazine. Um, yeah, The Spectator. I'd never Spect- heard of uh, Spectre, it before. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I've never... Uh, I may have seen it back in the day where you used to go to Barnes & Noble to buy magazines and stuff. Uh, I may have saw it here and there, but never a magazine I've ever subscribed to or bought. Yeah. So I, don't, I can't I think it was on uh, Drudge Report. I don't know if you've ever been to Drudge Report. Drudge Report is mm-hmm. a pretty popular um, online um, kind of uh, series of articles yeah. that are just kind of listed, kind of whatever the hot-button issues of the day. Sure. 
boats of articles that they post. And so I happened to be on there, saw this article, fascinated, and read it, and then thought, hey, this could be something interesting to talk about. So sure. send it your way. So, uh, so we're going into identity politics today. This article is by Charles Murray at The Spectator called Identity Crisis, How the Politics of Race Will Wreck America. I've already this week heard talk about how um, the French are complaining right now. And do you know what they're complaining about? The French are complaining about well, I know that particular. Well, you know, one of their one of their citizens or whatever smacked their president Macron in the face, but that's not what you're referring to. Uh, No, they're actually (laughs) angry at America because supposedly it's our fault that uh, we've let identity politics get so out of control that we've exported it to France and now it's causing them problems. Oh, which is usually really for it to go that direction, not the other way around. Right, and 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 I mean it's particularly hilarious because a lot of these sort of. Postmodern ideas uh, originated from, from France. Yeah. You think uh, Jacques Derrida. Yeah. Most continental. Michel Foucault. Yes. <laughs> Most continental philosophy, which is a bit what we're talking about, France, Germany. Yep. Usually has had more impact across the pond than the than the pond coming across the other way. Yeah. Unfortunately, uh, you know what has happened in America is that they were philosophical ideas living in the academy, and they have gotten into pop culture and into movies and different things where we are. The masses yeah, that's are true. imbibing. Uh, we tend to be more politics. influenced by British intellectuals mm-hmm. and academic thinkers than continental, mm-hmm. you know. And so it is interesting that we've kind of jumped the jumped a little bit by we're, maybe we're the ones exporting some of these kind of very hot button, very mm-hmm. heated uh, political issues. But you're right, yeah. I mean, pop culture, America's biggest empire, mm-hmm. if you want to call it the American empire, it's corporations like Apple, Starbucks, McDonald's, Nike, yep. whatever, and entertainment, art, yep. right? Yep. Uh, movie arts and that type of thing. TV shows, music. Yep. Um, and it is Marvel very much. Movies. Marvel movies. Marvel movies, <laughs> right. Which uh, you and I know you're, 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 the, you're kind of the resident Marvel person. You're yeah. a big fan. You've been a fan a long time. I, yeah. I'm a casual. I've watched, seen all the movies, but not some, I've never seen them more than once usually, mm-hmm. but I watched the, you know, the, uh, well, I guess at the end of the series, it was called Captain America and Winter Soldier, but yep. the Falcon and the Winter Soldier. Yep. Uh, and that was very, there's a lot of identity politics mm-hmm. in that show. I know that was kind of talked about. So even Marvel, which is kind of this, you know, I don't know who the major audience is for Marvel. I mean, it's, it's pretty popular culture, but usually it's teenagers, maybe boys, this type of thing. It's even found itself in sure. some of the Marvel sure. entertainment and stuff. And so, um, so yeah, anyways, so here we, we talk about more identity politics. And we talked about it last time, too. We talked about transgenders in and, and Connecticut and racing and running and that type of thing. It's hard. We just can't run away from these issues. They're just so, they're popping up on a week-to-week basis. Right. Um, it's hard to just, they are kind of the, the pressing issues, and hence we're talking about them. Yeah, this is a much more uh, sort of macro level. This is... Uh, the general danger of identity politics um, that we're going to get into today. Uh, so he opens, uh, this is the opening paragraph. Uh, I think he encapsulates it really well. Uh, quote, the American experiment is fragile. It has always been fragile and it always will be fragile because it is so extremely unnatural. Unnatural in this context means in conflict with human nature. Jonah Goldberg has described the fragility of the American system by comparing it to a garden hacked out of a tropical jungle. Really good. A garden surrounded by a jungle is unnatural. The gardeners must tend it with unremitting care lest the jungle return. That was so helpful. Yes. I, when I remember reading that, I'm like, 
I, I, I get that so quickly and so easily mm-hmm. that it helped really set the stage for the rest of his kind of position mm-hmm. on where the, the kind of the fragile nature of America from an experiment in general, yep. but where it is currently is in a dangerous place. Yep. And to talk about it in that way uh, makes it really understandable that we America is a garden surrounded by unnatural jungles that, you know, this, this idea that, um, uh, you know, the American society is, is a democracy, that the people uh, do have power, that the individual has power, that it has rights, that it has values. It's not like we have a monarch who just kind of present these values, you have these values, and where we are currently that, you know, it is in a very fragile state that um, we are definitely saying certain people have more value currently than others, and the others are actually um, proponents or have, have over the years and over the decades and over history have been uh, caused pain and suffering for this group of people. So now basically discounting this group, which takes up 60% of the country, and now let's put all of our focus and energy on these small yeah. minorities and this type, and it's in a very uh, very fragile situation. I think it was very helpful, the garden-jungle metaphor. Right. This reminds me of um, uh, Rufus Fears, who I've mentioned in the past. He was a professor at the University of Oklahoma, who has passed. I believe he died in 2013. I've mentioned him before on the podcast, but... Um, he talks about in uh, a series of lectures that are actually on YouTube, uh, Rufus Fears, F-E-A-R-S. He, um, he talks about how the founders of the country knew the danger of partisan politics. Uh, partisan politics meaning uh, this zero-sum game of us versus them, uh, never giving in, never compromising. There is no greater good. There is only the good of my group. Right. That, that is a fundamental danger to the American experiment because we are built uh, to have the general welfare uh, at the heart and then protected by rights for all individuals. Um, and so you can see then, even from that kind of perspective, that, that where we're going today is talking about how identity politics, wherever you fall, is dangerous because if you cannot perceive nor do you have any interest in the common good, then there is no American experiment. Right. There is just group warfare. Right. And that's very dangerous. Yeah, I think we've talked about this in podcasts past, that question like, what is what does it mean to be an American? And I think that question is hard to answer mm-hmm. um, because I think we have moved away from this like understanding from a basic level what it means to be American mm-hmm. as a nation, as one citizen amongst many, where there is some shared values, there's some shared... Um, uh, goals. There's mm-hmm. some shared um, understandings, but now with the splintering of tribal groups and things like yeah. that, you know, the, the other groups are considered enemies, or they're considered obstacles to our group's goals and our, our goals, group's desires and wants. And so, that's when you don't share any type of commonality, or you don't share any type of of group identity, then you really do have a very uh, fragile. Yeah. place where you just have assortment of groups fighting for the same scraps, right? Right, right. 
And I, I guess this second uh, paragraph is a great jumping off point for a really important element of this discussion, and that is, uh, what is human nature? Mm -hmm. um, and so here's the second uh, paragraph, quote, treating our fellow human beings as individuals instead of treating them as members of groups is unnatural. Our brains evolved to think of people as members of groups, to trust and care for people who are like us, and to be suspicious of people who are unlike us. Those traits had great survival value for human beings throughout millions of years of evolution. People who were trusting of outsiders were less likely to pass on their genes than people who were suspicious of them. People who were loyal to their tribe were more likely to pass on their genes than people who stood apart. So you have this, uh, I would guess anyone can understand this, that you have this general human tendency, which is to congregate in groups and to trust and work with groups of people who you perceive are like you. Right. Uh, and then conversely, that you don't trust people right. who you perceive as unlike you. Right. Now, this is not an argument for that. It is an assumption that that is a part of what human beings do. Um, now, here is a question that, that, is, that is genuinely perplexing to me and, and the reason probably why this article seems really important both to you and to me upon reading it. Uh, what is the popular conception of here, here's what is human nature uh, especially in regard to good and evil in, in, in American culture right now? Uh, in regards to good and evil, um, well, I mean, the, the, the most viewpoints amongst Americans is that humanity is basically good, right? Mm -hmm. um, and that's kind of a general understanding that, you know, the assumption is is that m most people are are want to um, they, they don't want to just lash out and kill their fellow man right mm -hmm. that their their intentions are to be good their intentions are to be moral their intentions are to do what's best um and that humans are not in generally uh, created uh, in a way that they are wicked by nature right? right i think that is kind of the general assumption however i think that there's a view that uh, the people that you that you know or the groups of people that you know you make those assumptions, but then you had kind of the xenophobic mentality of like, well, people that I don't understand, people that I, I, I don't know, people that I have some suspicions are, I don't know necessarily if they are good. I don't know necessarily if they are ones who will, who will, you know, do what is right, uh, who will... If, you know, if there is something there that they, I can trust that they wouldn't try to kill me for it or something yeah. like that. Um, I think, I think that is kind of what you would ask people um, when it comes to that. As obviously, as Christians, we believe that humanity, while created in the image of God, is born of the world sinful, right, and, and therefore uh, not good. Yeah. Um, you know, only as Jesus, as Jesus says to the rich young ruler, you know, only God is good, right? Why do you call me good? God is the only one that is good. Um, and, but that's not how the Western culture, let's see America would define that. They would, they would say, well, I think we're basically good. There are right. some bad eggs, but most people I think are generally good. Right. And there, there is some sort of tension in there. I mean, I guess one thing to say about it is I don't think there's a really thought through analysis right. of human nature, uh, because the Christian idea is, uh, Here's the explanation of why there's good and evil. We were created in God's image, so we have desires for good, but all of our desires have become twisted right. for our own ends. Right. And so at any moment, we might turn 
uh, turn towards ourselves and selfishly uh, sin against God, sin against other people, manipulate people, lie, cheat, steal, and all of the rest. Now, what's peculiar about this moment is that there seems to be this, uh, with, it, with an assumption that people are going to be good and generous, then a pointing out of uh, historical evils, and then an expectation, okay, since an evil has been done, uh, you are corrupted if you are part of a group that committed that evil. But then we've talked about uh, in the past that the biggest hole in this whole argument is, okay, what's redemption? Right. Um, and that is a really big problem. Right. Because the, the path to redemption is not clear, and so therefore uh, it seems that if you're listening to this story, that you would be most likely to accept the narrative if you accept the path to redemption. Nobody wants to be told you're fundamentally evil and there's no hope for change, so therefore, end of story. Yeah. The lie there in it. Right. Um, that is not, uh, that is not a, a story that anybody, I mean, you're not going to make a movie right. where that's the, the character's story because nobody wants to find themselves in that story. But meanwhile, it seems that's a story that is being told uh, through identity politics right now. And I think you can begin to see his concern because, okay, if you are driving in-group loyalty mm -hmm. and saying, so therefore, uh, identity politics, which is in-group loyalty, if you're driving at that, there is a large group of people who are uh, on the receiving end of a lot of uh, talks about injustice, and that is, uh, they talk about, you talk about white culture right. and white guilt. Right, white guilt. And, and here's the thing, uh, part of the first, first part of the story we're saying here is, okay, if this is a story, what is forgiveness? What is right. reconciliation? Right. And that story is not there, but the danger then is, if you don't understand, one, that people are prone to discard narratives that are not useful to them, right. then you're basically peddling identity politics, and then it will be received. Thus far, it has not been received by, say, white America, right. by and large. Right. But what a danger if it is. And, and all this to just go back and say, identity politics is not good for people. Right. To, to judge people only based upon the group that they belong to is not a good thing. Uh, the American experiment has always been about how individuals can rise above their circumstances. Right, and again, like there's a, almost a xenophobic mentality of, of us against them, and then so therefore if we we're all trying to fight for the same scraps of money and power, um, but it's, it's, you know, which I think is what he's getting at. America was founded in a sense where the people have the power. It's not like there's a royal family that own all the all the right. all the scraps and then distribute it based off their wisdom, like as Plato talks about the philosopher king, right? Yeah. The, 
the wisest and the smartest are the ones who are in control of all the means and all of the resources, and they distribute them based yep. off their wisdom. America is not set up that way, right? I mean, there is no hierarchy group, right. um, and and therefore, but that's kind of what's being spun though now is that no, there is a hierarchy group, um, and and they obtained all the power and all the resources, all the money. And, and therefore, we need to uh, realize that that's wrong. We need to overthrow that group and then reestablish a new authority over the means and over the resources, and then they need to be redistributed. Yeah. But that's what he's arguing. That's actually m- what most governments have been like throughout history. America is the, the garden in the jungle, mm-hmm. but now it's in this process where I guess what is being argued and said is no America is actually not any different than any other nation or government throughout history. Um, and really that was an illusion. Um, and that rhetoric and those, those statements and declaration of independence and those things were actually just illusions. And really the, the, what's truly true about America is there are, there are a few with all the power and with all the money and all the resources and they have misused that power and misused those resources for throughout history. And now we're recognizing that and we need to cancel them and then reestablish a new authority, right? And I, be, I mean, that's pretty much, but, but what's being said is though, I think he gets in the article is that there's a large group, like the more, most people in the United States who are white, who have not had these resources and haven't had this power, but yet they're being told they do have these resources. They do have this power. But those people don't recognize that. They're like, well, I don't really feel that I've ever I had any special treatment or that I had some unbelievable source of resources just given to me uh, without even having to work for it. Um, and so there's, just a, there's a, a, a confusion yeah. that's being spun, that they're being told one thing, but they don't have any, they don't have any thoughts or feelings that they are guilty of anything. Right. And so it creates a really unusual... One way to clarify the issue here is that um, you and I are both for equality of opportunities. Um, But there is a a danger and there is a a goal to have equality of outcomes by by fiat, by just declaration and by by force. And... If we move to certain places that it looks like we may be moving, mm-hmm. uh, meaning government action to immediately accomplish this, right. that that does not signal fairness. It it signals arbitrary removal yeah. from a certain set of people. Say, uh, say, uh, think of a a town that is a small town in Nebraska or Oklahoma that has been poor or working class right. whites. But I mean, you mostly. come from that area, right? Well, and, Southern and, Illinois, yeah. And, uh, yes, and so you go, okay, the, there's not been privilege. Right. Uh, this is, you know, I'm from a coal mining town. Right. Uh, Black Lung is right. legendary. This is what people get if you spend right. your life working in a coal mine and right. harmed your lungs. And, yes, people have made a living off of this, but it's by literally their life being... Taken. I, I have I have friends who they lost their father by a, a collapse of a mine shaft on right, them, and, and right. so these sorts of things. Th- this narrative just doesn't make any sense in certain situations, and that is one thing that is being said here. Um, 
And so that, hence the fragileness of all this, because, I mean, America is, is foundation, is the pursuit of life, liberty, and the, that you have the freedom to pursue these things. Sure. I, and when it gets down to, like, the root level values and, and vision and of a mission of the United States, that is a major part of it, right? And to argue that actually that's not true. Right. It really, you don't have the right of life, liberty, Actually, uh, only certain people have that right. Um, and actually, a certain race has that right for a long time. And so even currently, that's not true. Yeah. And so therefore, we need to flip that. And the government needs to force upon the entire society who are the ones who have the freedom for life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. And that's, I mean, you are then the garden is over. Right. It, it's overrun with weeds. And right. And trees. so where we have been is that um, most have agreed upon this desire for equality of opportunity. And it has been held up and mm-hmm. then worked towards. Right. And uh, whatever the story, the, the data bears out that there had been progress mm-hmm. toward this. Um, if you uh, look now uh, at general opinion... Uh, on the state of race relations. It has been in decline uh, since 1964, when it was at the highest, close to 80%, um, and has been ever since, uh, seems like September 11th, uh, which led to a lot of uh, racially related discord. Uh, that, that number has hovered around 15 to 20%, who would say race relations are good or very good, um, and so then, conversely, 80% of Americans would say uh, not good. Mm-hmm. And when you end up there, uh, what does the future hold um, when, when there has been a common goal? And then if there's a common goal, we then will discuss means to accomplish that right. goal and we'll test and these sorts of things. But we are moving away from common goals, and, right. and that, is, that is dangerous. If you have groups of people who are working for different goals, uh, at the end of the day, it's a zero-sum game that right. uh, we can't win together. Somebody has to lose, so the but other I, can win. But, you know, based the article, obviously we can't display this. Uh, you can to look it up on your own Google, this article, but they do have some, like, maps that they show, and they're very, really interesting. Like you have in the when Clinton was running for president, re-election '96, right against Bob Dole. It's interesting how how diverse political positions were at that point. You know, I mean, like I, I hovered at Tennessee because that's where I'm from. Uh, Tennessee now is a very red state, right? But right. in '96, it actually Clinton won the state. Now I know all Al Gore, Al Gore was from there, the yeah. state, but it, which but even if you look at it by county mm-hmm. throughout the Southeast, especially you had pockets of blue, you had pockets of red. You had very little, like, dark, 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 dark red, right? Yeah. I think the only really major county was the that was in Kansas, right? That's where Bob Dole is from. Yeah. But then you go to, like, 2016, you start to see a lot of dark red, yeah. which is, like, heavy concentration of, of Republican voters. And then you have heavy blue of heavy voters yeah. of Democrats. And that, that changed in 20 years where I, I do think that this issue has basically been put in overdrive or, as they say in Spaceballs, in, in ludicrous speed, right, up until the last 10 years or maybe even 2016, where this thing has just gone really fast, really quick, yeah. where I even think the article brings out that I think if you ask an, a, a normal American about race relations, 
that I think most Americans saw some positive momentum motion, but then all of a sudden, when you get into like, mostly when President Trump ran for it then dropped significantly people's views on this. And I think we are, the, the United States is so polarizing, which wasn't true in the 90s. It's so polarizing now that, you know, where people are on this issue, either you're way over here or you're way over there, and there's very little in the middle. Mm-hmm. And I think that's the biggest issue when you're talking about commonality and common goals. Yeah. You see people on that are in two separate groups, and the other group's an enemy, right? And everything that that group does is wrong and, and bad. You can't trust them, and they're liars and they're dishonest. And then the other group thinks the same thing about them. And it's just like, how could you possibly have a society that talks about individual rights when you have two polarizing groups. Yeah. Yeah. And his third element uh, kind of uh, puts an exclamation point on this because he says, uh, quote, a third element that has developed among humans is acquisitiveness, whether of money, status, or power. Whatever its evolutionary roots may be, the empirical consistency of human acquisitiveness over the eons is impressive. The open-ended desire for more money, status, or power has been natural. To voluntarily limit one's wealth, status, or power has been unnatural. So when you add that, when you add acquisitiveness to loyalty to one's group, that is what you mentioned earlier. That is dominated mm-hmm. most uh, most countries as the government. You know, look, a nation like Germany, there was one group of people, one race, and then there was one church, and they were united by those two elements, and that's what defined German identity. America, from the start, did not have a national identity that right. was tied to any sort of ethnicity. Right. Uh, America is an idea. Right. America is an idea of free enterprise. America is an idea of individual liberty, the ability of people to make decisions, to work hard, to accomplish something. And so in that regard, you can see it tied to there, there has to be a quality of opportunity for the American experiment to right. go forward. Right. But this idea of a quality of outcome uh, is, is a goal, but it is a goal that if it is forced, it is antithetical to the American experiment. It says to people, some do not need to try because they will get it whatever they try. Some do not need to try because it will be taken from them no mm-hmm. matter what they try. And mm-hmm. that, is, that is the exact opposite right. of how the American experiment was designed to work. There is a question, how do we get there? How do, how do we push towards equality of opportunity? But we're no longer agreed upon that question. But I think, and I think the other issue is America, while you're right, it's an idea. Has it been perfect? No. Did it start perfect? No. I mean, slavery was a major issue, and, and it's an important, it was unfortunate, and it led to the Civil War, which happened less than 100 years from its actual creation. The United right. States had a bloody Civil War over slavery. Right. But America, as a as an experiment, while young as a country, has, I mean, to be honest, the United States quickly after its founding in 1770, actually a little bit later in 1783, it wasn't until, it was 1800 when they eliminated slave trade completely in the United States, Mm -hmm. right? Uh, A lot quicker than Britain and other countries. And, And so the United States, 
I think, yes, it had some issues on the beginning, but it is work to remedy those issues constantly, constantly through war, through struggle, through very harsh means. They have struggled and struggled to be better as a nation, and it's not perfect. Mm-hmm. But in the United States, then in the 1960s, and with Martin Luther King and the Civil Rights Movement, realizes that they have have a an issue with when it comes to that there is a a portion of our country the portion of our citizens by the color of their skin did not have the same rights as whites and by its actual creed is illogical like yeah. it's everyone should ha- is 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 equal in the eyes of god right um uh, everyone should have the, the the be able to pursue life liberty and the pursuit of happiness right and america has worked and worked and worked and worked as a society, but now we get to a point where all that stuff has been, well, America hasn't worked fast enough, or it hasn't done well, and it started off bad, therefore, because it started off bad, it's canceled itself as a society, and like, that is an unfortunate thing, especially for our generation and our adulthood, we're in our 30s and early 40s, we have young kids, we are now leaders in our society, and we don't want to come to a point where we're like, basically, we're starting over from, 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 from uh, a level one of of our society, we, we we hoped and believed that we have moved and we have progressed to a certain point, and we need to work off the the improvements and the progress of our our forefathers. And we have we we all kind of came into this point thinking that yeah, race relations aren't perfect, but they've gotten better. But now we're we've gone back, right? And I think that's the unfortunate thing when it says because you're white, you're actually a racist. When you're like, well. No, no, no. We're, we're, we're. It's our time to help lead, make it better. So you're saying that not only is it not better, it's worse. And not only is it worse, there's no way to get to get better. There's no way to progress through this as a society that the government has to force this upon us. Like that is demoralizing, isn't it? As 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 people who are now in our kind of situation and as Americans, as the leaders of our societies and our communities. And it's very unfortunate. I think it, I think that's created a lot of the, the frustration and the anger is that, wait, hold on a second. Like, I, I don't feel that way. I don't think that. And you're telling me that I do. And that's leading people to become more to a point of dark, dark red. Yeah. And it's created this major issue where it's like, I think that, you know, uh, we're totally two different countries. And I don't know how you possibly can move forward. Right. So ideas that you're referring to, just for the sake of clarity, uh, probably easiest summarized in a book by uh, Ibram X. Kendi called How to Be an Anti-Racist. And the anti-racist idea, the fundamental idea is that um, racism is ubiquitous. It is, it is everywhere. Uh, if if you are uh, white, you you have benefited from uh, mm-hmm. privilege, and and that's uh, privilege is an enormous question. It's kind of like the question of bias. Right. That it, it is valid to ask questions about this. The danger I see in the anti-racist movement is if you cannot help but be racist. Mm-hmm and there is no solution, all it leads to is an encouragement to people to go back to their group. If right. there's no redemption exactly. with this group, exactly. I forget about this group, yep. and I go back to my group. Right. And I say this because we believe in Christianity, which says 
One, you were made in God's image. Right. It was not supposed to be this way. Right. Two, but you have sinned, and that is the reality. Mm-hmm. And sin is, has a hold on you. You can't break that hold. But, I mean, it reminds me of, you know, the book of Revelation. Who can open the book? Who can open, who can open the book? Right. The line of Judah. Only Jesus is able to break the seal. Only Jesus is able to redeem a people. And so it, the claim, first of all, is that uh, these anti-racist ideas are sub-Christian. They are less than Christian right. in the sense that, yes, there are sins. Uh, that is agreed upon. You can have a very reasonable discussion about sins becoming systematic, sins becoming systemic. I mean, right. the, the Bible talks about the world mm-hmm. that... that um, the book of James says, no, no one, if you love the world, the love of God is not in you. Right. If you are a friend of the world, you are an enemy of God. Uh, this is, uh, the world in this sense means a system of evil, a system yep. of sin right. and sinners that are opposed to God. Incidentally, in the scriptures, this system includes both humans and demons. There is an entire theological backdrop. And this is the issue with the anti-racist ideology is that it is sub-Christian, so it hints at Christianity, but it has much of the negative of what you would find in Christianity without the positive, right? without the hope of one who can make new yeah. this situation. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and that is, that is the greatest danger about this, because if you, uh, whatever the view of humanity that seems to live in this, if there is no redemption, People have no incentive right. to accept it. And even, even those who accept it right now, long term, what is, what is the outlook for someone who just goes, I'm white, I have nothing but guilt. Right. I, everyone that I've ever known is corrupt and wrong. It, that, is, that is just torment. Yeah. I mean, that is exactly, I mean, we've talked about Martin Luther on this podcast. Martin Luther lived in that torment yeah, for years did. and years and yeah. years and years because yeah. he couldn't find a remedy for his sin. Right. And so he was in torment. Right. And he wore the people around him out, right. too. Right. Um, and, and that's one thing to be said about this, is that anti-racist strikes me very much as Protestant. It seems like a sort of a, further a, a development off of Protestantism, that you are known for what you're against rather than what you are for. Because what is there to be for? Yeah. There, is no, there is no common good to be for in this ideology. There is a group of people to be for, and that is minorities and oppressed groups. And look, Jesus, Jesus is for the poor. Jesus is for the oppressed. Jesus then brings redemption through the oppressed. He comes and identifies with the oppressed. I mean, he was a son of a Jewish yeah. woman yeah. who people probably believed that she was unfaithful to her, uh, to her future spouse, and that's why she had become pregnant out of wedlock. She probably had questions about uh, Jesus' birth. Jesus comes vulnerable as a baby. They mm-hmm. want to kill him from the start. He is sought after, and he identifies with the poor and the weak and, and the working class, mm-hmm. and then redeems not only them, but offers redemption to all people, that yeah. all people can 
be redeemed from their sins. That yeah. is the Savior that we believe in. Yeah. But that is just starkly different yeah. than what you are seeing coming out of uh, anti-racist ideology right now. And especially when, you know, if you look at even like statistical numbers, like most, a lot of Americans work paycheck to paycheck. Yeah. Um, white, black, Latino, right. mo- a lot of them, I think it's like over 40% of Americans work paycheck to paycheck. They don't have any savings whatsoever. Um, you know, they, they have you know, housing payment, car payment, and they have, they probably put their furniture on a credit card that they're paying off. A lot of them do not go on vacation hardly ever. Um, if they're going anywhere out of town, they're going to go visit family somewhere. They're not going to Disney world. Um, and so that's where that's a lot of where America is, um, and for and that's why you see so many people that voted for Donald Trump because you're you're bringing this point up if if they have already been called enemy and racist and that they're privileged but yet they don't feel privileged in any way they're again living paycheck to paycheck um, working. Uh, hourly jobs, a lot of them, maybe for some multiple jobs during the week. Um, and they're, they're going to go, well, that guy says that I'm the one actually that is mm-hmm. it's a victim. You know, all my jobs are getting taken away from different other groups across the country. He actually is t- speaking to me. He says that he's out to protect me and, and, and provide solutions for my issues. Right. And that's why there's so many people that have now just moved their moved to that direction, and there's just and further and distancing and distancing and distancing that um, it's just like where when you have a lot of people who they aren't privileged, they don't feel privileged, their experience isn't even privileged, but yet people telling them that they are, you're I mean what are they going to do? Either they're going to feel guilty about it and go well there's no there's no course of relief, there's no course of grace, there's no course of redemption whatsoever. And therefore, you're in turmoil, you're in, in, and maybe a lot of their kids, that is kind of where they are. They're going off to college and saying, because they're white, that they are actually privileged, and, and therefore they're, they're, they're racist, so therefore they're full of guilt, constantly full of guilt and constantly in torment of that, and have no way, way to, do, to do anything with it. It's like join protests and different things, but they can't get away from that identity but then their parents are like, well, you shouldn't feel that way. Why should you feel guilty? Actually, we aren't privileged. I mean, look at our, our life and experience. And by the way, like, that's why we, we support this particular party or this particular group of people who say, actually, you're not in the wrong. You are an American. You work for everything you've done. You've taken risks. You have suffered. You have struggled. Um, and good for you. And we need to support you. And we need to prop you up. Yeah. Um, the lens of... Uh class and the lens of kind of city versus country is another useful one because look the goal here um, we want to get at the truth and at the good as far as what what is the way forward that is uh, that is possible for this country to unify around because look a part of the problem with this and he talks about this in this article is that uh, we we can't help but generalize from our experience right. but a lot of these stories have come out of places like New York San Francisco yep. LA where Look, in the past, there has been an elite that in large part was white and then sustained, uh, you know, the wealthy children of wealthy people from New York City went to wealthy schools and then attained jobs that were good jobs. And so it's not like this is a story that has no place in America, but it is a story that does not resonate with somebody growing up in a town of 
5,000 in Missouri right. Right. that is not ethnically diverse at all. Nope. It, does not, it doesn't make sense to say feel guilt because of your privilege, and it's just like, I'm a plumber right. you know, in, in, in a small town in the Midwest. Right. I, I don't, what do you want, why would you want me to feel? My parents didn't give me anything. Like, and, yeah. and you're wanting me to find, yeah. uh, to assume that I have negative feelings towards certain minorities. That is just not a story that makes any sense right. to wide swaths of the country. And so in part, that is, is the problem is a lot of our media comes out of large cities and doesn't therefore make sense, especially in right. this angle. And then that's ideas. why you're getting to the governmental aspect of this, of, mm-hmm. of the government... Uh, determining or guaranteeing outcome. Uh, basically, which, you know, trying to, in a sense, enforce fairness. Mm-hmm. You know, well, therefore, how can you present, how can you have fairness if you're the one basically dealing the cards, right? And, and you're the one kind of setting the, the outcome stage or the outcome results. Um, but, and I, but I think, you know, coming from cities and coming from, from institutions like university, academic institutions, where over the last several decades, this has kind of been the push. Uh, and, the, and the ultimate goal is, is for it to be a governmental institute, the governmental uh, uh, change, yeah. that this would come from the top. But then it goes back to the fragi- fragility of the fragileness of this is that it doesn't work that way in the United States. It doesn't work from a hierarchy structure where the, it's a king or a queen and says, or an oligarch that says, we are going to do this. That's not how it works. It comes from the grassroots of the people. It's been that way from day one. And that's the whole issue with this, that the the jungle's taken over the garden, and it seems that that is the promotion and the push. Right. And so, I mean, just as an aside, uh, politically speaking, this is a call, please, uh, Congress legislate. Uh, Part of the problem here is that you end up with two actors that end up having enormous power in the American experiment at the moment, and that is the executive branch, the president mainly, or the judicial, judicial branch, right. where the judges can decide enormously powerful uh, cases that change the lives for millions and millions of people. And that's not the way it was designed. Uh, the, the Congress has branches specifically to react to the people, right. and that is fundamentally necessary. But meanwhile, uh, listen to the way he follows, because we need to get to the point that uh, you are hinting at. So he says, quote, the introduction of identity politics into that carefully crafted constitutional system does not simply distract us from warding off the jungle. It is the jungle, the primitive sense of us against them pressing in upon the garden. It not only permits, but insists that the power of the state be used to reward favored groups at the expense of everyone else. He says, the mind insists on generalizing, but when mean differences between groups are real, it is absolutely essential to resist generalization. It is essential to accept the reality of documented group differences, but to insist on thinking of and treating every person as an individual. So what does he mean by mean differences between people? Wow. Uh... So, well, how do you understand it? <laughs> so, uh, part of what is controversial right now is that uh, as, as much talk is running around that, uh, well, we have to trust the science, there, there have been strong leanings on not trusting the science. Because, look, 
if you assess various mm -hmm. group identities, math scores are not the same right. across. Right. Uh, you know, and, and so science, technology, engineering, and mathematics. These rely on logic. They rely on certain abilities. And when math scores show up as incongruous, as unequal, as different, literally what has been said to any of these studies is go back and study more because we can't accept that. Right. Well, if we're going to get to equality of opportunity, we have to ask the hard questions about why things are the way that they are. And the truth is not convenient. Uh, we have to be willing to let mean differences, meaning you assess groups and then you go, this is where we are. Now we have to begin to work on this. And thus far, the energy has not been there. These yeah. are, these are uh, assessments in these regards are very controversial, but they should not be because the truth is the truth, you, you have the goal to encourage and help all people, but you cannot look at the data and go, I don't like that data. I don't want yeah. that data. Yeah. And so that's one issue that is, is happening right now is that uh, situations like this where you have uh, discrepancies or uh, inequalities between, say, let's just mass scores uh, between races, well, look, you're going to have to accept that data and begin to work on it, begin to program, not, not say the data is invalid because you don't like the outcomes. Uh, you don't like what it said. And so and which that's brings, one which, of Which brings a, a, another point to all this is that the government, especially, uh, we're just going to just throw out terminology that helps us out, especially the Democratic Party, um, you know, uh, who have supported, like, State state education, you know, uh, public education. Uh, my kid, my daughter goes to public education. We're sending our son to a public school, so I'm not anti-public school here. But what's happening is is that you're bringing up math scores between you take a white boy and a black boy, and the black boy does worse in math, and the white boy, and you're asking questions, why is that? And you're like, well, I don't like the data. Go back and figure, figure this out. I can't be, there has to be something else as the reasoning. But what's so interesting is that the Democratic Party is against charter schools, which those particular institutions and schools have helped black students do better in math. So instead of working to help create equal opportunity, they are actually against presenting things that help present equal opportunity where they're, okay, so it's not like somehow a black student is worse at math than the white student. That's not true. I mean, they, they're the same brain. God created both of them, right? Mm -hmm. What we're saying is, is that the white student is probably getting a better education based off the county or city by which they live in than the black kid who's going to inner city schools. So one of the solutions has been, well, like, let's change, like, public schools in the cities are failing. So let's provide a better alter alternative. And actually, statistics show that those alternatives actually are better. But yet then the Democratic Party is against those, those alternatives and say, no, we want to just fix public schools. But they don't work. And, and so, therefore, instead of helping, you just want to then change the outcome so that everyone who's losing has now become the winner. Mm -hmm. that, but that's not the American way. Mm -hmm. And so why are we not working to create alternatives and, op and options that actually help to create equal opportunity? Yeah. Um, and that is, I think, the unfortunate thing in this, whole, in this whole scheme. And I think it's just any type of ways to help improve and, and continue to to get better and to progress as a, as a society, there's just there's just 
different parties, different political positions, like, well, we're against those opportunities. We're, I mean, we're against those agendas or we're against those, those uh, uh, strategies. Um, by the way, but even though we disagree with that strategy, we think your group is against this group ever having equal opportunity or equal uh, outcomes and these type of things. And so that's, the, that's kind of the frustration of this whole thing is that there are opportunities, there are things out there, there are strategies that have worked to help this mean difference. But yet one group that is trying to fight for equal outcome are, are against things that help bring equal opportunity. So, Yeah, so that's an issue. And, and I mean, he, he sharpens this. He says uh, two proposals that he has. One, uh, he says advocating double standards for people on top and then everyone else is a bad idea. Mm. Uh, that you cannot flip... Uh, the script and say, okay, uh, say African-American people have generally had less of an opportunity, so we'll just privilege uh, explicitly, say no matter what you do, you will have this much greater uh, outcome. When you're getting as close uh, to somebody's heart as their children, that's not going to work. You have to raise up uh, you, you have to look for ways to encourage the success of one group rather than just saying to the other group, you will lose now. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's number one, advocating double standards for people on top and then everyone else is a bad idea. And then two, uh, he says a lot more whites live in working class and middle class neighborhoods than in affluent ones. It is just not not appropriate to assume that all uh, white folks are wealthy and living in, you know, Greenwich Village in New York City. That is that is just not the case, Uh, nor are they living in any approximation of Greenwich Village. Uh, That is a small subclass. And there there are issues in the background. There have been inequalities, but this country is filled with all kinds of different people who have come here for all kinds of different reasons who subscribe to the idea that we have rights, we have opportunities, go after the right. opportunities. Right. You are an individual. You should be able to strive, and who knows what you can accomplish. A lot of the success in regard to technology is based upon those two ideas, people who have taken risks. Most entrepreneurs have track records of failure before any sort of success. Uh, They are the types of people uh, for every one that looks like a phenomenal success that we love to focus on. There are five failures who who probably are very disliked, maybe even by their family and these things because they squandered all, I mean, an entrepreneur is by nature someone who takes a lot of risks with money. Right. Uh, and, And so, it's, it's not, from, from the outside, it probably looks like all these American success stories in terms of tech companies and entrepreneurship in general are just, oh, wow, you just try things and it all works. No, many of them don't work. Most of them don't work. It's just that the ones that do work are very profitable. And, yeah. and in a lot of ways, that is the story of American economics. People who take risks are often rewarded for them, but other people who take risks are not. Yeah. Um, and so you have that. And I think, you know, again, it's, we talked about this a while back about difference between men and women and gender differences. And I mean, that is a part of, you know, 
America is a, is a nation or society of risk takers, right? Number one, the pilgrims risked coming over on the Mayflower. Um, the, 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 found, the founders and the, and the colonies risked declaring independence against the mightiest military and the greatest empire in the world, the British Empire. They made risks by expanding all the way to the Pacific Ocean, right? They, they've always risked and risked and risked. That is, and I think the, and I think as a society, as a, as citizens of a society, that, that is, you know, we went to the moon. Like, it was a risk, you know. We we spent a bunch of money in the '60s when we had a lot of problems, right? We invested a ton of money in going to the moon. Like, there's there's no like diamonds up there. There's yeah. nothing like there's no resources up there that's going to turn our society into Atlantis or something like that, right? We went there because that's what we do, right? And I think. America is, the, is a society from its beginning that is the risk takers. And I think as a society, that is a part of our DNA. And I think the land of opportunity is its kind of mission statement. You come and you have opportunities. Now, it's, I think, again, as we've been talking about, there needs to be equal opportunity. Right. And we need to work towards having that. Right. And as, a, as, again, leaders of the society, we're no longer the kids. We are now the adults. We want to live in a society that has equal opportunity, not just for our children, but for the children in our communities and children in our churches and the children at our kids' schools. That's what we want. Um, And we need to work towards that um, so that people can take risks, so that they can learn and take what they've learned and then put their chips on the table and say, I'm going all in based off a hunch or an idea or a thought. And I think that's what we need to be promoting. And we need to be promoting that. We need to be promoting that in our schools. We need to be promoting that in our communities. We need to help people who have good ideas or thoughts. If we think it's a good idea, then they say, hey, I want investment money. We go, okay, I'm going to invest in it because I think it's it's a good idea and I want to be a part of this. And that needs to be what we do. And the outcome is, we don't know what the outcome is going to be. You know, we don't know. Thomas Edison tried, tried, tried again to produce the light bulb, right? And it took many different tries. Um, and so, and you keep working, you keep trying, you keep trying new ideas, new different ways of doing things. And that helps the jungle not taking over the garden. Right. And, and I think it's worth, as citizens of this society, we need to get out the machete and cut down some, some, some limbs that are, that are kind of invading this unnatural society. Well, and, and, and so then, uh, it seems to me there are three things that have kept on coming up before we do kind of uh, put uh, a circle around what he sees as the dangers on the horizon. And, and so uh, the advice from this particular podcast is, one, seek a common good. Find out what is the common good. Yeah. Uh, two, along the way then, be willing to listen to stories from all kinds of different sorts of people. I, this is not, please do not hear that this is a story of going, well, since this is my story, it's everybody's story. Right. There are a lot of different stories, but America is built around the idea that a lot of different kinds of stories can coexist. Mm-hmm. Uh, this reminds me of some podcasts we've had in the past that one of the dangers right now is there's a lot of forces pushing us apart right. and not nearly as many as there have been in the past that bring us back together. And right. we need more forces that bring us back together. And so listening to others' stories is fundamentally necessary. But then uh, I, I will say that 
I can get on board with the idea of equality of opportunities. Um, a, a, a deck stacked against yeah. anyone uh, is not, not fair. It, it's, it, it does not make sense to right. think, well, let's just have some sort of indeterminate period that is stacked against a certain set of people. We are living, and, and what, what the story you're hearing is how evil that is mm -hmm. to stack the, the deck against a sort of, certain yep. sort of people. Right. Can you not see that it's a short-term, unwise proposition to go, let's stack it against another set of people, uh, and, and then expect what? Do you think that won't turn negative in the future? Right, Do you right. think that will just turn out? Um, right. Because so, here's what he says are the dangers that he sees coming if this is not done. Um, he says the truly grave danger of refusing to confront race differences and means is that it leads in a straight line to thinking that the only legitimate evidence of a non-racist society is equal outcomes. Once the state steps in to remove freedoms for certain groups, it will be one group against another for certain. Us versus them will return. The garden will give way to the jungle. And the state's impartiality is what keeps both sides at bay. Right. And that seems to be daily becoming less true in the Biden administration. Yeah. And and I think it's from this article. I'm just and I, I think doesn't he talk about kind of the uh, the distrust that people have for the government? Yes. Um, and, and I think that's th the belief is that one party is favoring one particular side. Therefore, as a whole, it's uh, there's a distrust. So we don't mm -hmm. trust. I mean, they think it's like what 15, 10 percent as people's a high, it, it, people have a positive view of the U.S. <laughs> government. Something is quite low, right? Yeah. And, and but it's not like that's historically been that way. I mean, right. up in I mean the 60s, it was quite high. It wasn't until Watergate and that yeah. type of stuff where things kind of moved in a different direction. It's got progressively worse and worse mm -hmm. and worse and worse. And now it's at its you know it's it's almost it seems like it's, we've been stuck there since, you know, especially since the Iraq war, right? Yeah. I mean, um, and, and, I, and I think, the, I mean, and that's, that's why even with a, the, the pandemic, that's why you have groups that are like, well, I don't, I'm not going to wear a mask because I don't trust the science. The, the government is just, is just pushing right. false falsity. I'm not going to get the vaccine because I don't trust the government and they're the one giving this out. It's like, I mean, even at that point, I mean, if this pandemic happened in the 1950s, more people would have gotten the vaccine and more people would have probably worn a mask. Like that's the kind of where we are right. that even simple thing. Oh, the government is lying. They're lying. They're lying. They're lying. They're lying. And I think it comes to a point where I think we're going to have to start trusting at some level yep. because you can't live in like this. Well, I'm only going to trust my own, my own blood. Yep. That, that, that's part of the problem. If like, I only going to trust my own. I can't yep. trust my neighbor and I definitely can't trust people in the other neighborhood. I definitely can't trust the government. Then how can you even live in a society where you don't even trust anyone? And then there's just a sense where, well, I trust the, that president or I trust these people who have the majority because they're partial to me. Mm -hmm. Like that's, that's dangerous. Right. And I think that's, I mean, there's no way going forward because if Biden loses the election in 2024 to a Republican, it's just going to be a reversal. Yes. And that is the exact other danger that he yeah. brings up. If you can have a Donald Trump elected with no electoral experience, no right. governing experience. Oh, yeah. That's right. He gets into that. Yeah. A platform. He, he had a platform. Yeah. We, we are the next level that, that we are setting up for identity politics is zero sum game, figurehead, yep. no experience needed, right. just tells all the right talking points and appeals to a certain base and then elected and look, 
for four years, that side wins. And then meanwhile, what do you have? The other side just fumes. Right. Because we have nothing but winners and losers. Right. And that is not the, the way this even to get you in, even to a, a, a particular point right now. I don't if you read the news or read the newspaper. President Biden is trying to pass an infrastructure bill, and he uh, he originally wanted it to be over tri- two trillion dollars. Uh, two trillion dollars. Well, now you know there's been a few Democrats, two or three, who want bipartisan bills. So now that 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 there's like ten Republicans to ten Democrats that are working on a one trillion dollar infrastructure bill. Well. The progressive liberal caucus of the Democratic Party saying, "No, no, 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 no! Don't reckon, don't, don't bipartisan this. Let's get the best bill we possibly can get." No, uh, and to a point where even they don't have sixty votes in the Senate to pre- uh, to prevent a uh, to, so that there's no filibuster. They want to use the the reconciliation uh, kind of strategy, which that hardly was ever used until now. And I think there's a sense where no, no, we're the ones in power. No, no bipartisanship. We need to push whatever we want for the, the amount of time we have in power and do what's for our people, what's best for us yeah. and for them, not for the others. I mean, that's where we are, even with an infrastructure bill. Yeah. I mean, this is about as boring as you get. Yeah. How to fix bridges and fix roads. That's being used yeah. in this identity politics mm-hmm. circus. And like we just said, in four years, if you have a Republican, then it's going to get flipped. Yeah. And, and then you're going to go back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. Yep. And that's the fragility of this, the fragileness of this whole thing, or that jungle is just slowly taking come over yep. the garden. Yep. So, well, I, we, we probably at some point need to talk about a, a particular story that's a little more uplifting and positive. We talked about transgenders and running, and then we talked about this, and we talked about cars a few weeks ago. Maybe we should talk about that a little bit uh, as well. Bring some positivity <laughs> to this. <laughs> this got a doom, sure. doom and gloom uh, article and things. Or, of course, in our little, in our world, in the SPC, Southern Baptist Commission, we're kind of in a similar That's microcosm of what's it's going true. on. So we won't talk about that. We, we, that was the other article we kind of pushed out yeah, of maybe talking true. about, but that's just as much kind of, oh my sure. goodness, where are we going to be there? So, uh, But hopefully we'll continue to get on here once a week um, during even during my sabbatical. Even when you have your child, hopefully we can kind of get on here, you yeah. know, on a week-to-week basis. And so, um, anything else we need to talk about before we sign off? I don't think so. Alright, well this has been Empires of the Future. And we'll see you in the future. Alright.